what we sipping on, you know, that's debatable. That's debatable. Sip sessions. We're just two friends sipping, chatting, and relaxing. My name is Erin. And I'm Jackie. And today, while we sip, we'll dive into therapy taboo as it stands in the Black community. But before we get into all of the meat and potatoes, of course, we have to check in with each other. So, how you doing today, Erin? I am doing good. Um, like I was saying earlier, I'm a little exhausted. I've been having to stand in the sun every day for like the past. Oof weeks so I don't catch the Rona and uh it's really starting to take all of my energy <laughs> <I can't even laughs> draining oh um it's been like 90 something degrees yeah all week. yeah Show. and then with the mask on like I just be sweltering like my titties be sweating they never <laughs> sweat. like my back be sweat it just be so much oh too much girl so, other than that, my days have been pretty good. So, chilling. How about you, girl? Mine's has been pretty good as well. Um, again, I always take this pause, but I don't need to. This week, I pretty much just kind of cleaned up. Girl, so I, I don't know if this is probably irrelevant and people probably don't care about this. But I have one of those tubs, like the inside, the material is like, it's not very, like it's hard to clean. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was like, let me, um, I've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off or whatever. And I finally went in there and cleaned it. And my, I got, like, Bambi legs from, like, scrubbing so hard on there. I had to use, like, <laughs> not that it was, like, super dirty, but it's just hard to get stuff off of it. Like, soap and all the other stuff. But I saw, like, a YouTube thing that was saying that you could use, like, baking soda. Um, so I was using that, but girl, I was all in there scrubbing, bending down low, getting up high. Like it was the most. And I decided to do this at eight o'clock on Saturday morning. So what? First of I don't know. What is eight o'clock on Saturday morning look like? Girl, I'm always like, oh, I'm going to sleep in or whatever. And then my alarm just goes off. And then even if my alarm doesn't go off, my body just automatically knows something ain't right. You're supposed to be up. Get your ass. <laughs> so I can never sleep late like I want to, but uh. That's been that. I'm still watching Game of Thrones or whatever. I'm on season five now. Y'all be speeding through Game of Thrones. Anita watched it a couple weeks ago, and she got through all the seasons in like a week and a half. And I was like, girl, that's a heavy show to watch all of in a week and a half. And they're hour long. Melody yes. is re-watching it. She's finished, and she's re I'm like, girl, take a break. She's like, nah, it's real good. I'm like, Lord. She said she found another show called, or heard of another show called Vikings that's supposed to be better. Mm-hmm. So I guess she's going to watch that next. But I was like, girl, why don't you just wait? But it is, it is. I will say that it is interesting to re-watch the show like once you already know what's coming and you're not necessarily anticipating mm-hmm. so you can kind of pick up on all the small things that you're not paying attention to the first time so I will probably re-watch it probably not right after I finish this one but like maybe later this year or top of next year I may rewatch it just to see all the stuff I didn't pick up on Ooh, but yeah ain't nothing really new girl just new TV shows that's it that's pretty much everybody's <laughs> life because as we know, the Rona. I don't know if you have Prime, but if you do, you should check out this show called Upload. It's pretty interesting. It's different, but it's very interesting. Okay, okay. I feel like I've been starting a lot of shows lately, but 
I don't Same. ever finish them. <laughs> and I'd be like, ooh, this is so good. And then three weeks later, I'd be like, I was supposed to finish an episode or something. What happened to that? And now I start stuff and I'm like, dang, I'm not in the mood to watch any more of these episodes. And then I just never finish them. <laughs> I did start that Michael Jordan thing. And Bro, I was like, oh. Uh, first of all, okay. Michael Jordan kind of cute way he was. I was like, nobody yes. told me. Because me and you have very, very similar tastes when it comes to guys. So I was like, let me see. Because I was like, I've seen Michael Jordan all my life. And I have never, not that I thought that he was ugly, but I would never like, you know, ooh, Michael Jordan. Unless right. it was Michael Bakari Jordan. But we're not talking about him. When I watched, I was like, oh, okay. Right? I can kind of oh see it a little bit. <laughs> I'm only on the first episode, so I'll keep watching to see more. Okay. Yeah, it's not bad at all, actually. Because when I first heard about it, if for those of you who don't know, we're talking about The Last Dance. I was like, oh, it's going to be like real sports-centered, which it is, but I wasn't sure how interested I would be because right. I just don't watch sports like that. But Phil was watching it a couple weeks ago, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Okay, I can Ooh, watch this. I and stuff. I was like, damn, right. what's about to happen? <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, I had the same reservations, but it looks interesting. Well, before we get into the other nitty gritty, um, let's do our black trivia for this episode. So I'll go first, I guess. So I'm trying to get like Jackie and make sure that the questions kind of relate to the episode. I'm doing a little bit of, but anyway. Damn. Okay. What percentage of African-American households are headed by women with no husband present? Ooh. So the choices are 30%. 75% or 13%? The question again is, what percentage of African-American households are headed by a woman with no husband present? 30%, 75%, or 13%? Ooh, this number is just sad. Or these numbers are sad. Is this a trick? Okay, I'm going to... It's not a trick question. So is it 75%? Lord, I hope it's not that many. And no, it's not. Thank, thank God. God. Hallelujah. Well, that's a, <laughs> that's one answer. I'm glad I got wrong. Let me go ahead and drink. Let me go ahead and take a shot, actually. But go ahead. What's the uh, what's the real okay. answer? So the answer is thirty percent. Thirty percent of African American households are headed by a woman with no husband present. Wow, that's pretty deep. I'm really glad though that it's not um seventy five percent. I'm kind of scared to take this shot because I already feel my stuff <laughs> deteriorate. Oh, Lord. It's not Person. a full shot, though, so it should be okay, right? Ooh, that tastes like sins and <laughs> I don't know. Ooh, girl. I can't stand shots. Girl, it just reminds me of, like, stupidity, like, in my 20s being in the club and shit. Like, oh, uh-uh. It reminds me of bad decisions. <laughs> like that was. Okay. <laughs> So Jackie, laid out. Yes, let me give a disclaimer for the rest of this episode, y'all. I done had some wine and stuff before we started, so <sighs> that's all I can bear with her. Yes. Okay, so Marie Van Britten Brown uh, was a nurse, a black nurse, who did what? A invented the home security system. B invented feminine pads or products. Or C, invented the super soaker. I'm going to go with B, 
pads and products and feminine products? The answer is the home security system. Really? Yes. <clears throat> now that was a trick question. <laughs> All right. Um, and just to give you a little bit more information, it says that she was a nurse. She organized the security threats to her home and devised a system that would alert her of strangers at her door and contact relevant authorities as quickly as possible. Her original invention consisted of peepholes, a camera, monitors, and a two-way microphone. Girl, sis was on it. The finishing touch was an alarm button that when pressed, would immediately contact the police. And so, of course, that okay. kind of gave way to the technology with security systems as we know it today. Girl. We've invented a lot of things, like, yes. to make life easier. We've also, never mind. That's not even, let me not even go there. Let me not go there. <laughs> That's another combo for another day. Yes, we have done that. All right. So introduce us, Jackie. What we what we getting into today? So we're going to talk about therapy and how it's a taboo in the Black community. This is something that has been very near and dear to my heart because I just think it's something that we, as a community, don't really take advantage of or don't really get into for one reason or another. So I really just wanted to kind of you know talk and see what we come up with when we talk about it. So I guess I want to start with first, why is therapy important or what is the the importance of therapy for you and I guess for our brothers and sisters? Uh, well, as many people may or may not know, I am a social worker, clinical social worker. So a lot of what I do is therapeutic. So professionally, I can say that therapy can help in a lot of ways. So a lot of people think of therapy as like, oh, your life is just falling apart or you have really serious mental illness and like you need medication and you seeing and hearing voices and all of that kind of stuff. But therapy can be helpful in that it provides an unbiased opinion or an unbiased view of whatever is going on in your life. So sometimes people use therapy to talk about a main event or concept or idea that they have that they just need some outside input on. Sometimes people just use it for maintenance. And then some sometimes, of course, people use it when they really have something serious that they want to overcome. So I think therapy has a lot more uses than people think. It doesn't mean that you're crazy, as some people say. I really hate to use the word crazy, but... Mm -hmm. And what's funny is a couple... Well, yesterday I was telling somebody that there is mental illness and then there's crazy. And I feel like there's a difference. So it kind of sucks that people put them together. But... Um, I think therapy can just be helpful in a lot of ways, whether you have a diagnosis or not. Personally, I just started therapy two months ago now. I think I've had like three or four sessions because I do it every other week. So I think I just have my fourth session. Um, And therapy really has pointed out to me where certain insecurities come from and certain behaviors come from that I wouldn't necessarily connect. And it really just helps to be aware of some where some things come from. Mm-hmm. Because as we all know, things aren't necessarily going to change overnight. But it's helpful to be like, okay, this isn't this doesn't have to be me. I know that this comes from another place and I have the power to change it. And it's helped build the confidence in a lot of ways. And then it's helped me just like I was telling Jackie, when was that? A couple weeks ago after my last session. Sometimes it's helpful to just get a little read from your therapist, yeah. like and tell you about yourself. Whether it's about something that you've intentionally ignored or something that you've just been like, oh, 
I didn't even know that was there. Right. So I think therapy can be helpful in tons of ways. I've always been an advocate of therapy. Like even before I had access to therapy, like I feel like I've always thought that it should be important to kind of unpack stuff. And I just feel like going through life in general, like you, so many experiences affect how we move or shape how we think or how we feel, our confidence, things like that. Stuff that we don't even realize affects us. Mm-hmm. that sits in our subconscious and sometimes it's good to have somebody to talk to that is a professional that kind of has a little bit different ways to kind of unpack some of that stuff or stuff that the average person would not know like it's nice to talk to our elders or our, our people at church or our friend or our moms and our dads but I think that it it is also important to talk to someone that can help you navigate that in a professional mm-hmm. way in a real way to kind of help you think and I think also, too, I think a lot of, well, at least when I was younger, before I had, had been in therapy, I was like, oh, like, I just want to go to a therap- therapist so they can fix me. But it's like, when you go to therapy, it's not like that at all. It's not like, oh, you go to therapy and say, hey, blah, 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 this is all of me and I need you to fix it. And then you walk out, like you mm-hmm. said, the next day or a month later and it's like, oh, I'm perfect now. I think it's more so about getting tools to kind of navigate stuff on your own. And also, like you said, yes. picking up on certain things that you... You may not even be aware that you're holding on to or that has affected mm-hmm. you or molded you. But I just think that it's, it's important to keep our mind right. Like we stress, you know, health as far as like physical health and eating right and dieting, exercising, whatever. But I think it's also just as important to make sure that your mind is right. Because if your mind is right, that's the one thing we're left with when there's nobody around. You're left with your mind and your thoughts. And that can be loud sometimes. So sometimes it's good to... Speak to somebody to help you kind of figure out what your mind is trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of touch on to like what may be some indicators that or even from a personal perspective, what were indicators for yourself or maybe for other people that they may need to talk with someone? Ooh, So the biggest thing for all of my answers, I'm always going to do professional and then personal. So the biggest thing professionally that I would tell people to look at or assess is how much whatever you're dealing with, whether it's like a particular symptom or situation, trauma from recent trauma or past trauma, whatever you're dealing with, how much is that affecting your functioning? So how much is it affecting Mm -hmm. how you sleep or how you eat? Or how you interact with loved ones, how you interact at work. Like, is it affecting your job performance and how you talk to customers? Are you cursing customers out every day <laughs> for nothing? Um, and <laughs> um, really, that's what you want to look at. Because even when we're diagnosing somebody, one of the indicators, like you said, that someone may be having one of the symptoms that fits a diagnosis is, is it affecting their functioning? We need, what, seven to nine hours of sleep a night. If you're only getting four hours of sleep, that's affecting your function. Mm-hmm. If you aren't able to eat because you're anxious or because you're angry or whatever, that's affecting your functioning. Mm-hmm. If your arguments have increased or you used to be a very sociable person and now you don't want to socialize, those are things that indicate that whatever it is that you are concerned about is having an impact on your life. And when it has an impact on your life, that's when you want to really seek help. Right. 
personally, what made me seek out help was that, well, number one, I wanted to figure out where some of my choices in men, where that was coming from, and why, despite some bad relationships, I was still having negative feelings regarding the ending of a relationship, because that relationship was very bad. So for it to end, you would expect me to feel like tons of relief and stuff. So I really wanted to get to the bottom of why I was feeling the kind of guilt and shame that I was feeling in regards to that relationship. And then when it came to my professional life, I felt like there were some things that were holding me back as far as like insecurities and fears. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to see where that was coming from and how to get past it because there were some goals professionally that I wanted to go after that I felt like um, there was just this this insecurity that I wasn't going to be good enough or wasn't going to be able to help the people I wanted to help. And that was really keeping me from moving forward toward that goal. So I was like, maybe it's important to talk to somebody and kind of see where this is coming from and then what I can do to push myself. And then, like I said earlier, it would just be helpful to see or talk to, even if it had to do with just professional stuff, talk to another professional about their perception and and their tips on how to move past that insecurity and fear. And I think too, it's uh, something you said made me think about this, but like when you're, oh, when you were talking about anxiety, like when you're stressed or you're depressed and stuff, you know, that starts in your mind and stuff. But eventually, like if it gets to a place where it's severe, it can eventually manifest on you physically. Mm-hmm. That's another reason why I think that that therapy is important. Um, I want to ask too, was therapy something that was talked about in your household when you were younger or um, amongst family members? <laughs> And things like that. No, not at all. Why do you think that is? Uh, okay, this is going to be a very personal. My family just does not discuss difficult topics, mm-hmm. period. So, like, even when my parents were getting divorced, like, I tell this to people all the time. Like, we didn't see any kind of arguments. We didn't see any kind of conflict. And how I found out that they were getting a divorce was I found divorce papers, like, in the car. Like, they didn't even tell us. And the only real conversation that we had about it... (laughs) Now that I think about it, it's kind of funny. <laughs> but they took us they took us to Golden Corral and they really just started like, We're always gonna be friends, guys, and this isn't your fault. And me and my brother was like, What are you talking right. about? Like, <laughs> the only reason I knew what we were talking about is because I found the paper. So anything the only thing that really Let me back up. We never really talked about anything that had to do with mental illness or therapy or anything until I think I was in college. And I don't know what me and my mom were discussing, but she told me that our family had a history of schizophrenia or something like that on her side. And then years later, my dad told me about his mental health struggles. But so before then, before I went to school or college, I should say, we didn't talk like that was not even a topic brought up ever Mm -hmm. that had with anything mental health therapy related or anything. So I can't say that it was shunned or swept under the rug. It just it just never came up. That's interesting. I didn't know that about your um, family. I knew the thing about the divorce, but I didn't know about the um, the history of schizophrenia. I don't know. Like, I don't know if it was necessarily directly spoke about in my household until I got kind of like you said, like when I got older. I knew that my I knew that my dad's side had some stuff going on, but I didn't know the specifics of it because it was such a hush hush mm-hmm. thing. But then as I got older, I don't know. I think I mentioned this one time on an episode previously, but there was a conversation that my dad and I had when I was 
an adult, like probably within the last couple of years, where I was kind of telling him that I was depressed. Well, most people don't know out there, don't know that I suffered with depression pretty much I want to say all my life, even as a child, I've had it. But anyway, during, so middle school, high school, all that young adult. And so I had a a very difficult time before I was going to therapy. I had any resources where I was just kind of dealing with it, stuck with it. Mm -hmm. And even in my high school years. Anyway, so I had a later conversation with my father where he found out that I was saying that I was kind of struggling with things and was kind of depressed and not very well. And he was kind of like, I could tell he felt a type of way, not necessarily towards me, but he wished that he would have known so that he could have gotten me the help. Hmm. As as far as what we know or what is known to us that my grandfather had anxiety issues, who knows what other, other stuff he had going on. He had a time where he was in the military, but then we don't know how he was discharged. Like if it was hmm. you know due to racial stuff that was going on, if it was due to his mental status. Right. But there's a lot of stuff that he, you know, pretty much took to the grave with him mm-hmm. that wasn't spoke about. And it's like some of those things, like if we would have had open dialogue and discussion about it. He could have carried on to his children. They could have carried that on to me. So I don't know that it was something that was spoken necessarily spoken about when I was younger. But like you said, when I got older, it was something that kind of came to the surface of, you know, parents being like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, <laughs> Yonker Joe Flatfoot had X, Y, and Z. <laughs> so you might want to check that out. But I just hate that sometimes that that there, there's such secrecy among our community to just kind of keep stuff inside and people legit go to their graves <laughs> with mm-hmm. information that could promote healing or change the trajectory of family curses or family generational um, cycles and things like that. But it's like we much rather not have nobody in our business. We don't want to talk about stuff. And I just I don't understand it. Like, <sighs> I don't know. I really would love to know like where that thought process came from of like, just let's keep this stuff inside. Not necessarily saying go broadcast it to anybody that's listening, but just like the idea of like, well, there's this deep traumatic thing that's happening, but we're not going to speak on it. Or And I think that comes from too, a lot of times people not really understanding the weight of certain things. I think we touched on this too on the previous episode, but I think that a lot of times we have normalized a lot of trauma that things that are heavy and that take a, an effect and a toll on us and it's just kind of brushed off as a normal thing or a normal experience or a normal behavior. But many of us got uncles, cousins, aunties and stuff that truth be told, it's like some of these people need to be in therapy or need to be diagnosed or be on medication and stuff like that. And I just feel like we're doing so much harm to ourselves by not speaking up and causing generational issues. That's part of it is not speaking on it, is that we can't fix it. We can't change the cycle if we don't know where the problem's coming from. In response to us hiding stuff, I just feel like that is a, I want to say it's a black thing, but a lot of stuff that I'm coming from is coming from like movies and stuff too, of white people hiding the same kind of issues. But I think maybe the black, the secrecy of black folk maybe just could come from our history with being mistreated, I guess. But I don't know. But I do agree that there's a lot of things that would help future generations if they knew kind of their history, the good history and the bad. Because as much as we like to, we like to instill a sense of confidence in our community, but we still have to be, and this is something I struggle with too, like we still have to be honest with ourselves and be like, we still have struggles and we still have things in our community that we have to improve 
and that includes mental health. And I don't know. I don't know why it is that we don't we don't want to, I guess, be open even in our like let's forget the white community and outs other outside communities for a second, but even within the black community, we don't like to be open about what our what our struggles are. And then even when people do say something about our struggles, sometimes it's like, well, why you got to bring that up? We're trying to uplift each other. And right. Blah, blah, blah. So, I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what the issue is. I think it has some historical stuff, of course, but I also think that this generation may be millennials and beyond are so open, especially when it comes to like social media and stuff, that I think that that could change a little bit. But just looking at like people's comments in regards to different events, like you can still see that there are some negative associations when it comes to mental health and other issues. Yeah, I think that, um, I think like you said, there probably is some type of historical, you know, something to that as well. Maybe a mistrust with other people outside of our community and sharing information because of the mistreatment from years and years and years. I also think too, there is this thing of just kind of like keeping our business, our business, like you said, even within our community, like just when stuff happens inside our household, it's, you know, it stays in this house pretty much. Which, again, those things are like literally killing us. Like those secrets are killing us. I also think that a lot of times we are, I don't know, we're we're presented to be strong and we have to Mm-hmm. be everything at all times, have so many jobs. We got to take care of the kids. We got to take care of our husbands. We got to take care of our wives. We have to worry about making how these these uh, ends are going to get met. And just, you don't have time for it. Like, I don't have time to be worrying about crying. I don't have time to be crying about my goldfish that died when I was in third grade. Like, I have to keep going. Hmm. Um, also, I think maybe there's also maybe a resources gap, maybe that there sometimes is, even though now I know there's more things that are coming more available of people. But I think also, too, because of that resource gap, because we want to stay strong, because we want to maintain this image of strong black woman, strong black man, we say, oh, you just pray about it. You'll be all right. Or, oh, talk hmm. to your auntie or oh, talk to your grandma. And those things are great. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I feel like you need to take an extra step some time and talk to someone that can help you not only unpack it and just leave you there with it, but kind of give you tools to kind of navigate and pick up on stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily see with your eyes. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't know. I think I think it's just a lot of taboo of keeping your business your business, praying and you only need Jesus and Jesus is the answer. But I always like to say this, too, that the Bible also says that faith without works is dead. So you can pray about it, but you also should take your behind to talk to somebody. You were mentioning a couple. So I did a a little bit of research um, before the podcast about why we don't reach out. And what I found was a lot of stuff on black males. But I think some of it can be translated to women. But two of the things that you mentioned was accessing services and then feeling like we have to be strong or tough enough to handle whatever the mental health issue is. And so I think a lot of, as far as accessing services, I think a lot of that has to do with systemic racism. Like, because a lot of us are in low income areas and meaning that we don't have access to healthcare like other Mm -hmm. higher income populations or we don't have access to i'm just gonna be blunt we don't have access to black therapists because of course there are black therapists but there's more white therapists or more therapists of other ethnicities or colors or whatever so i think that in itself is a barrier just because 
I think each culture and each race has a unique experience. And so a lot of times you want to meet with someone who has an understanding of your experience and can take that into consideration when you're speaking about whatever your symptoms are. And so having somebody outside of that demographic, they can misinterpret a lot of your symptoms or a lot of what you say if it comes to like language and stuff. Or not even understand where you're coming from. Exactly. And attribute some things or assess or evaluate some things inaccurately based on their lack of experience with that population or lack of having the same kind of experiences. And so I definitely understand us wanting to speak with somebody who can relate to what we've been going through, especially like now when you're talking about police brutality and racism, systematic racism, or just dealing with life as a black man or black woman, yes, a white therapist or any other race, Hispanic therapist or whatever, can relate to some things because some issues are just human issues. Shit, Um, racism should be a fucking human issue. I'm sorry, that was not... Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, That was real. Just sorry, that came out, that that, um, liquid courage. It was real, though. It should be. But... Okay, I'm going to pause in my thought to kind of address that. You would think that all therapists, when you go into therapy, you want to help people, right? And it should be anybody. Child, when I tell you some of these white therapists really have like strong biases, Mm -hmm. where it would be like, how would you treat a client of color that comes into your office? Like knowing that you have all of these, like girl, if they have clients of color, I really feel for them because it's like, <sighs> I just don't understand people going into helping fields when you right. have issue with humans. Like no matter what race they <laughs> exactly. are, because like, they're a fucking human being. Like you're here to help regardless of whatever. Like, and you hear those stories, this is a very, very side ass street, but like you hear those stories where people will deny help from somebody of color because they are of color. And so they will literally die before letting somebody of color help them. There's definitely a lot of barriers that keep African-American men and women from seeking help. And a lot of those barriers are, you know what, they're easily fixable if the government and society really cared about all humans, honestly. Like barriers like lack of transportation and access to services, just the fear of the stigma that comes with believing Mm -hmm. that somebody has a mental illness. Like these are all things that society could fix if they really cared about it. Yeah. I want to touch on a little bit about the resources because I remember before I was, I didn't have a job at the time. And I know one of the resources that they, that I was able to find was like group therapy at the, um, is it the health department or something? But I Mm -hmm. wasn't personally comfortable with that because this is my first introduction to therapy and I didn't want to go and be in a group trying to tell my business. I really felt like I needed like some one-on-one personal time. Somebody helped me get through some of this shit. So I didn't necessarily feel comfortable coming Coming into a group setting and sharing my business and, you know, that type of thing. Right. So, but there wasn't like a lot of other options other than that one to kind of touch on having a therapist that can relate to you. Like you said, you know, logically there can be a therapist that's of a different ethnicity or race or color that can give you bomb service. But for something for me personally is like, 
I don't know if it's just like the lack of trust that we have as black people with white people, but it was just like, I don't know if this is something that I would feel most comfortable in, in a place where I need, it's essential that I am vulnerable to get to what we need to get to. Like, if I'm not going to open up and feel comfortable enough to feel like this is a safe space, then I'm wasting my time with you. So I felt like I had to have somebody that looked like me. And on that same token, you can have somebody look look like you and they still may not be a good fit for you. That is true. So I just, I want to make, I wanted to say all that to say that therapy isn't a one size fit all, fits all. Like I said, this is my second therapist that I'm with now. And the first one, she wasn't terrible. She wasn't bad, but she just wasn't the fit for what I needed to kind of help with the issues that I'm having. And so I think it's important to let people know that like, if you go to a therapist and you know, you're with them for a certain amount of time, I'm not saying like just the first two visits and you're like, ah, you know, unless it's something that, you know, profound, but give it some time, like give it a month, give it a two month, like give it some time to go. But if that person does not fit for you, regardless if they're sweet, if they're nice, if they're not, it's okay to be like, yeah, you know what? This ain't going to work for me. It's your money. It's your time. You need to spend that on somebody that is a better fit for you. And sometimes that takes going different therapists until you find someone that kind of works well with you. And that's okay. I was just going to kind of piggyback off of that. A lot of times I feel like we think when it comes to mental health, when it comes to mental health, it's not as straightforward as medical. Yes. If that makes sense. Mental health, you really have to, there's so many things that go into treating somebody's mental health that you really have to take the time. There's multiple aspects that go into getting someone that fits to treat your mental health. And that, like we were talking about, has to go into somebody that can relate to your experience or at least has some experience working with somebody that has had your experience as well as just sometimes listen we as humans sometimes there doesn't even have to be a specific reason we just don't click with everybody and for you to really have a good trusting relationship with your therapist sometimes it's really as simple as y'all don't click Mm -hmm. and you need to click and so I really feel like people need to be aware that when it comes to mental health, you really need to take your time and really assess if that person that you're talking to is good for you. Because regardless of how professional or how experienced a the therapist is, all of them have a different approach. So if their approach is really like harsh and confrontational and that's not what you need, then you can go to somebody else, regardless of how much you like them, like Jackie said, regardless of how sweet they are some people on the other hand really need that confrontational and direct approach and so one of the things that i saw as a barrier to looking for services was that they had a negative experience and i think it's important to note that your experience with mental health professionals may not always be positive but that doesn't mean that every experience is going to be like that mental health really takes some patience and some time to really find that person that you click with But not unlike regular medicine, like if you think about going to a doctor and stuff like that and to kind of switch lanes into mental health and medication, you know, sometimes if you go to the regular doctor and they give you a prescription for, I don't know, athlete's foot or something, or let's say diabetes or something, um, and they may give you a medication and that medication may have severe 
adverse effects that you may not be able to kind of get through your day to day. So they may have to switch and find something else that may work best with your chemistry. So it's kind of the same way, that same effort that you have to put into if mm-hmm. you have like a serious illness or something else going on with you physically. It's not always a an exact science in that there's other stuff that's out there that may work, that may work, but you have to kind of, you may have to go through and try a couple things to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Medication and mental mental health, because I also feel like there's an even bigger stigma on when, if we are able to kind of go and get that help. And then when you have to kind of be on meds or if you have something more serious that you have to take medication mm-hmm. for, that becomes like a big thing or like a mm-hmm. shock to you to be like, oh, well, shit, I have to kind of take medication. Like this is, it makes you feel quote unquote crazy. Yeah. And so I want to kind of I wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit and to kind of top that off I want to start with I guess you were talking about there's a difference between crazy and mental illness. What's your definition of that? Or what did you mean by that? <laughs> this is definitely a personal definition, <laughs> so please do not attribute this to professionalism at all. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like crazy is Crazy has, let's start here. Crazy has a negative connotation when it comes to anything that has to deal with the mind. I think mental illness is treatable and you can definitely function with mental illness. I think a lot of times when people think of mental illness, they they feel like they're functioning and their ability to take care of themselves and ability to make sound decisions is compromised. And I don't think that's the majority of the population when it comes to any sort of mental illness. Like I said, mental illness is treatable, it's manageable. And I think with the right kind of interventions, regardless of your level of functioning, there's a way to work with mental illness, whether it's with assistance from professionals or whatever. Crazy to me, just I don't even know if there's an explanation. Um, give me an ex- okay, give me an example of somebody that has mental illness and then somebody that's just crazy. Crazy is like that ex boyfriend that don't know when to give up. Shit, that might be mental health too. <laughs> really, like that ex boyfriend that doesn't know when to give up. Mm-hmm. As I've been experiencing. Um, oh, Jesus. Wait, now, wait, wait, wait. Now, did you just give me a, like a little window of some realness of stuff that we need to talk about? Because I mean, I just think crazy is when people really try not to, in this instance, try not to take responsibility for their actions when it's clear that they have the mental capacity to do so. There's a difference when like you're mentally ill Mm -hmm. and you can tell when people don't have the mental capacity to take accountability for their actions or their treatment. Crazy to me is when you have the mental capacity to do so and you refuse to do so and refuse to to acknowledge that you are affecting somebody else's life in the process. Like I said, this is not a professional definition. So like if somebody gets cheated on and then the girl goes like bust up his tires or some shit like that, like you know that you probably shouldn't do that and it's not the best decision. But right. this is affecting somebody else. But you <laughs> 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 Is that what you mean? In those instances, though, she may not be mentally ill. She may have just 
let me tell you something. These niggas will make you snap in a hot second. You could be the most sane person in the world. And they, I don't know what it is. That can be another topic we need to put on the list. Because you could be the most sane, well-functioning person and meet the wrong dude. And you just lose your mind. Like, I don't know. But yes, that would be a perfect example. Like the girl... Have you been yes. seeing that video of with the, the gospel <laughs> remix, girl? Have you seen the bomb in Gilead? Girl, I can't. I cannot. But you see, she was aware enough to go back and grab that evidence. So, no. So She's crazy. She's not mentally ill. So it sounds like... Have you seen this movie called Primal Fear? Yes. I feel like your mom had talked to me about this as a kid. Primal fear. Mm -hmm. But in that movie, kind of like the difference is like knowing what you're doing. Mental illness can be doing something that's completely, you know, crazy or out of the box or unorthodox or whatever Mm -hmm. that's unhealthy. But not, like you said, having the capacity to understand that this is something that is wrong, even though to you and I, it may seem like, well, shit, this is Mm -hmm. clear as day. Whereas somebody that knows (laughs) that this is something crazy or harmful or going to be a big thing and chooses to engage in those activities still. Just don't give a shit. Right. Girl, <laughs> let me tell you something. When that thing blew up, I was like, how close was she? And then I saw what she was using to light up stuff. And I was like, is she serious? Like, sis, you can't be that upset. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, people, I can't even say niggas because women be acting a fool too. I'm glad you asked me that because I had never really put it into words before. But now I have a perfect definition if anybody ever asked me that again. But yeah, so that is a great segue into something else. So we know that Kanye West has been out here talking about running for presidency. He he has also spoken about how he has bipolar disorder. Um, And of course, he had a rally recently where he kind of just went into this whole, I don't know, I don't know if it was manic or depressive. Just, it was very uncomfortable to watch. I didn't even finish watching it. He's talking about his child, how he almost killed his child. Like, just all types of stuff. And I was listening to a podcast that was kind of interesting. And they were kind of saying, like, you know, you feel bad for Kanye, but then there's another part of you that feels a certain way because you know that he has bipolar disorder, but Mm -hmm. he's not... Or I guess from speculation, we can only assume that he's not taking his medicine or whatever. And so there's a responsibility that becomes on that person to not take, you know, their medication if they know that this is something that can happen. And also, it just kind of made me think about the fact that, you know, therapy comes with a few different layers. Like you have to be one, comfortable and in the space to be vulnerable. But two, you also have to be willing to participate in the therapy. Like if you are getting medication, if you are having supposed to have sessions and if you're not going or if you're not showing up if you're not taking your medication does that responsibility like does it then allow I guess the outside world to then put that blame or fault on you because you aren't taking your medication mm. and so I listened to that and I was kind of feel, and then they also kind of talked about how how they feel like part of it is his mental illness but also there is a part of Kanye that is just an asshole sometimes exactly separate that exactly but I wanted to go back to the um, the thing about the person's willingness, because you can't make someone take their medicines. You can't make people go to therapy. 
How do you feel about that? Because I kind of feel, while I can say, yeah, he should take his medicine, I can also understand how if this medication is making you feel completely not like yourself or making you feel crazy, how somebody would be like, well, if this is the alternative, I don't want to take that. But so I think that that sometimes becomes an issue with mental illness, with people not taking their medications. And you hear about these people and different things that happen and, oh, they went on their medication and why did they take the medicine? But sometimes it's not as easy as, oh, it's just a little pill you have to take in the morning and, you know, mm-hmm. your brain is fixed. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to that? Do you think that it's still that person's responsibility? Do you think that it's just the mental illness? Like, how do you how do you make sense of that? There has to be, as with anything that comes with your health, there has to be a certain sense of uh, personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, how are you going to... How are you going to continue to maintain that treatment? So personal responsibility includes knowing how this disease, because that's what mental illness is, it's a disease, Mm -hmm. how this disease affects you and your loved ones or whatever, how you want to be able to function on this disease and how medication affects you. I like that you say you can't force somebody to take medication because I don't think a lot of people realize unless they've had direct experience with trying to get somebody help that has a mental illness, Mm -hmm. there's very little you can do to force treatment on somebody unless they are in imminent danger to themselves or somebody else. Until then, it's their personal responsibility to accept that help, check themselves in, attend therapy appointments. I also agree with the premise that Kanye... (laughs) Here's the thing. Kanye is an asshole. He is. But we knew that from the beginning. So I don't think that's anything new. I think that... I think people... Here's something that I told a friend of mine a few days ago. She was educating me on like his tweets and stuff because I haven't read the tweets. I hadn't looked at the video that much. Like I saw maybe 30 second clips here or there. So I have I really didn't have a lot of experience with the clip or whatever. But when it comes to people with mental illness, based on what she was saying on some of the tweets, it sounds like he has some insight into the industry mm-hmm. and he has some fears about the industry that seem pretty valid based on what we know about the industry and we know about Mm -hmm. their history and stuff. But I think a lot of times people disregard a lot of what people with mental illness say because they have a mental illness. And because a lot of times people with mental illness, whatever they're trying to express, a lot of times they're not able to articulate it effectively to people who are not mentally ill or stable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay to feel bad for someone, but also require a certain level of accountability and responsibility. No one can make Kanye, if he is supposed to be taking medication, no one can make Kanye take his medication except for Kanye. And I think we need to hold him accountable when it comes to his decisions. I hate that it would have to be social media and society because social media has a horrible way of approaching Ciao. any kind of 
crisis. Right. On the other hand, with Kanye being the asshole he is, that may be the kind of push that he needs to get the kind of help. That may be what he responds well to. I don't know. I feel like I'm just talking in circles because I honestly don't remember what your original question was. <laughs> I feel like Kanye, I mean, people have been talking crap about how he's been acting forever. I don't think it's going to change. I don't know. I just have a hard time putting myself in people's shoes that I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know that I have to take medicine medicine for anxiety, but I know that it's nowhere near as severe as having bipolar depression. Like, I can't imagine mm-hmm. what that feels like. Um, and then to have those peaks of moments of clarity that do mm-hmm. come in, I can't imagine what that's like. I think, like you said, there should be a level of responsibility, but it's kind of hard to say you should take this medicine if this medicine mm-hmm. also does all this other thing. Like, I can understand that. Like, that would freak me out if they, they were telling me, hey, this will help with your anxiety, but also you're going to have all this other stuff. Like, you're going to yeah. start seeing stuff. You're going to, you know, feel very crappy. Like, that would be too much. Especially, you know what, as an artist, I think that's what I was trying to say. As in, or one of the things I was trying to say. As an artist, let me back up. As a regular non-celebrity person, taking medication, at least from what I hear on the job, it affects your whole personality, like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard like that medication feel, makes me feel like a zombie. Mm-hmm. Like it changes who you are. And so I can't even imagine as an artist, that is your passion. That's your way of making money to take a medication that will potentially quell your creativity and your persona. I can understand why a lot of people are like, I'll just kind of manage it without it. Because like you said, the side effects are so strong that it's almost as if they're like, is it even worth Right. What it's going to do. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to kind of try to balance or try to make sense of. And then when you're not necessarily in your right space of mind, mm-hmm. that's probably even more challenging. So I don't know. I kind of teeter and totter somewhere on the middle of that line because it's like if you're not yourself and you're not in the, the space of the capacity to make sane and rational decisions, I mean, how much weight can I give to you not making the correct decision or the best decision for yourself if you can't do that? Um, and, and and the pieces that do come through is very sporadic. So I don't know. I I think that like you said there should be somebody some accountability, and then it also just brings an extra weight of I guess maybe the people that may be around them to kind of I don't know. It just it's heavy because it's a lot. It's not just them. And then what about the people around you and your family members? And, you know, I don't know. I think that it's it's a challenging thing. And I think a lot of times people who don't have experience with mental health or mental illness have a hard time understanding people when they have mental illness or feeling mm-hmm. like, you know, just go outside. Like you're feeling sad, just go outside or go do this or go do that or go spend, like you're a billionaire. Like you have all this money. Like what the fuck you got to be sad about? But it's like literally, it's at least speaking from depression. And I know that's just one aspect of it. But like speaking from depression, you can tell people that, but it's like some days you just literally do not feel like getting out of bed. Like you don't have the energy, the things that you enjoy doing, like listening to music or writing or hanging out with your friends or, you know, whatever. Like sometimes that shit does not matter. Like even going to therapy Mm -hmm. 
and getting tools from my therapist of, you know, when you have these moments and you have these thoughts and like, okay, stopping for a second and trying to figure out, okay, so where, why am I feeling this way? Why are these thoughts coming from, from here? Having depression is exhausting sometimes because you are constantly, <laughs> constantly mm-hmm. fighting your thoughts because they're always coming. They're always. And so it's not always easy to be like, well, girl, just go and, you know, go for a jog or go out because sometimes you don't have that energy. So I can get that. And I just thinking about it on a grander scale or a bigger scale. Like, I don't know how he's doing it. You know what I mean? I honestly think it's unfortunate that this is playing out. In the public eye. Because this is a fight... And maybe it's not, it is fortunate. I don't know. Because this is a fight that families go through all the time. Like people, I don't know if people feel like it's unique because it's Kanye, but like trying to get somebody help who obviously feels like they may not need help or whatever, that's not a unique fight. Like families deal with that kind of behavior all the time. And it's only because Kanye has the resources and the connections that he's able to go run for president and hold rallies and do all this stuff that somebody who's living off Moreland Avenue ain't going to have the resources to do. You know what right. I'm saying? And so this is not something that is unique to Kanye West. It's only unique in that it is we're seeing all of the signs and symptoms and struggles play out on national television, over Instagram, Twitter, whatever. I think people really need to, I don't know, people I don't think just really understand the struggles when it comes to mental health. And not that I can say that I totally understand, but having experience dealing with families who are trying to get their loved ones help, like this is not, it's not an abnormal experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. What was for you, I guess, what were some of the barriers for you personally, I guess, that stood in the way from you going into therapy? Because you kind of work in the field of mental health and mm-hmm. some of those type of things. Like what was what was it for you that kind of was in the way of you like being like, OK, let me go ahead and, and go sit down with somebody? One barrier that was a really personal one was I, this is going to sound so horrible. I just, I don't like talking to people about myself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't really know myself that well. So like, even if I meet new people, I'll try to keep the conversation based on them because I just really don't like talking about myself. And then the other thing is, despite knowing what I know, I felt like, well, my symptoms or my issue isn't that severe. So it's like, is it really something that I need to talk to somebody about? It was almost like I felt like the therapist was going to be looking at me like, girl, what are you here for? I think that was the biggest thing, just like feeling like I wouldn't have anything to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it was almost that thing of like that idea of like, what are you complaining for? Like there's other people that have bigger issues than you. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of minimizing whatever the issue was I was dealing with or am dealing with. And then just not, I don't know, it's just uncomfortable. Like even in school, part of our curriculum or our requirements was we had to go and meet with one of the therapists connected to the school to kind of get get an idea of how it was to sit on the opposite side, Mm -hmm. how that felt to like tell a stranger your issues and stuff like that. And it can be awkward as hell. And that was just something like, I hate being uncomfortable. So me having to be feeling awkward and anxious about having to tell somebody all my business that I don't know, it was just, yeah, that was my biggest issue. That and feeling like I didn't want to complain about something that other people might not feel was an issue. You know what? I've had a similar thought process my whole life of like feeling like, well, I don't really want to 
dump this onto someone else because everybody else has their own shit going on. So it's like, I don't want to mm-hmm. talk to... And the, But that was just on a personal level as far as like talking to friends or parents or things like that. But a therapist shit, I'm paying your ass though. I have to realize that... <laughs> I'm paying you to take all this shit and make it work. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. I think that, um, I think that's interesting because I, it's kind of like, I guess doctors too, when they're like, they make the worst patients or whatever, cause they just, you know, they don't want to go in or whatever. But I think that that's important to speak on that, you know, nothing is too small to go to therapy mm-hmm. about. I think it's also important to mention that another layer as far as therapy is that willingness or that openness, openness to do the work because it is going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be talking about Ooh. stuff that stuff that you may not realize that are pain that is painful. And then, you know, your therapist may give you new eyes to look at something through and you'd be like oh shit and then you have to sit with that and kind of unravel that with yourself and then that'd be the worst when they leave you with them damn seeds and be like all right well i want you to sit and think about this and then next week we're gonna talk about this i'm like well wait girl wait i need help excuse me i don't know what to do with this new information so there may be a lot of tears there may be a lot of you know inner dialogue it's going to be uncomfortable but that's part of the work like my therapist my new therapist one of the things that she was saying is that you know like you're only going to see me four hours out of the month so the rest of the time the work Mm -hmm. is really on you like they can give you the tools they can point things out to you but it's really up to us or the client or whatever to kind of take with that and do the work which is going to be uncomfortable which is going to be painful which is gonna you know bring up things that you may not want to that we have suppressed (laughs) and don't want to talk about it's gonna bring up new lenses at how we look at people in our lives and things like that so I don't know It, it it just it takes work that's all I can tell you is that it takes work and it's not for the faint of heart but it is worth the work and worth doing because once you can get through it and you can start seeing things it makes it easier to navigate some of those things and to kind of see like you said oh so this is why I feel this way about this or this is why a behavior that I continue to do and why I'm doing this but it does take the work to do it I don't know I just always tell people to just take a chance on it. Of course, therapy is not for everybody. And there honestly is no guarantee that therapy is going to work. And I think that should also be a very... I feel like when we push therapy, it's almost like it's going to work for everybody. You just have to find the right person. There, There's, of course, a chance, as with any kind of treatment, physical or otherwise, that it's not going to work. But I think we... Okay, so that's one of the things I wanted to mention. Like, as Black people, we ex- we're more likely to experience trauma out of any other population, whether that's sexual trauma, violence, death, whatever. We are more likely to experience mm-hmm. trauma. So when it comes to working through that trauma, that's very important because trauma has so many lasting effects, both with African women and Black men. So I think it's important for us to at least try therapy, especially if we want to improve our community. One of those ways of improving our community is improving ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel like we have to be honest about what we experience. I don't care how strong of a black man or black woman you are. Trauma has an effect on everything. We all got it. We really do. Stuff you don't even think that is trauma that we've normalized. And that's the thing too, like 
it's a big thing that I'm realizing like stuff that you don't think is traumatizing or has a, an effect on you from childhood and it's not always done in malice or with bad intentions just mm-hmm. things that we've seen things things that we've experienced with our parents with our loved ones at school certain experience like you can think back on and be like well hmm I remember this. Like you ever think about like certain memories that you have that stick out from when like mm-hmm. you were a child. Like I have certain memories and I'm like, why do I hold on to it? Like I can remember it clear as day like it happened yesterday. But there's certain things that we hold on to that we don't think is a big deal that is. And that's why it's so important to go if you can, if you have the opportunity. And like she said, it's not for everybody. But I also want to make the disclaimer that, you know, don't just go and, you know, go one time and feel like, oh, and and have that wall up. And because it's going to take time to unpack that stuff or bring that wall down. There are some benefits to it. I mean, you may not go for long. You don't have to be in it forever. Just even if you just need somebody to vent off of, like a therapist will pick out stuff that you didn't think was an issue and be like, look, this is what I see. Let me tell you about yourself real quick and send you back with some homework. Right. And you'll be good. And you'll be like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> I just came to talk about this text message, but tell me about myself when I was six years old. Fine. Okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like because our community is so likely to be traumatized, in order for us to improve, we have to figure out how to deal with that traumatization rather than letting it take over us and coming out in our actions and how we treat each other and ourselves or whatever. We really need to be able to figure out where our attitudes and our behaviors come from and then figure out how we can change those behaviors for the better of ourselves importantly and then of course of our community that's beautiful some beautiful way beautiful way to wrap that up um my liquor is starting to kick in oh lord okay so let's give them some resources (laughs) (laughs) i want to say one last thing though real quick um everything she just said ditto and i just want to also end too with just saying too that um what are some of the the good takeaways that you have learned or that has that therapy has helped you since you've started going to end it on a positive note Hmm. so i'm just gonna i always write down gems from my therapy sessions so yes in regards to like us having to be tough and strong and powerful black people and black women and men, sometimes it's okay to take off the cape. Mm. We have to have somebody that we can be vulnerable with and not have to take on the responsibility of the whole world. Sometimes we don't have to be a superhero. We can take off the cape and let somebody else be the superhero. Yes. Something that we talked about early on in my sessions, but support of somebody does not mean responsibility for their actions. So a lot of times we take responsibility for people and when they don't do what we expect or want them to do, it has a negative effect on our mental health and our mood. So we have to learn that we can support somebody, but that does not equate to taking responsibility for them. That's a word. Last one. Boundaries are contracts with yourself and are meant to protect your emotional self. When we let people overstep their boundaries, we end up becoming an emotional storage for people without storing our own emotions and taking our own emotions and making them a priority. So 
That's a word too. Make a contract with yourself to make your own emotions and your own well-being a priority so that you can be supportive and, you know, live how you want to live without taking responsibility for somebody else's life. Absolutely. Those are the little things that I have learned in my short time. Um, Amen. Get your therapist. Get you a black therapist. We're going to give y'all some sites and stuff. And hey, amen. Hey, well, amen. So I'll give you the site. <laughs> <laughs> the first site. Uh, did I find my? I don't remember. I think I found my therapist off this site, but it's called therapyforblackgirls.com. And I think anybody can go in there and find a therapist. But it's just a directory of black therapists. You can sort it by your area, by your insurance. If you don't have insurance, you can put that in there and they will pop up with whoever does like sliding fee scales and stuff like that. So again, that website is therapyforblackgirls.com. There's therapyforblackmen.org. I I believe there's one that's .com, but I heard there was like a porn site or something. So don't look at that. Therapyforblackmen.org is the same thing as Therapy for Black Girls, of course. Hey, if you need to l- release stress the other way, too, you can go to the other site as well. Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> and then there's, of course, there's psychologytoday.com. That's a directory of any and all therapists. So if you don't mind what color your therapist is, that's a large directory. You can see the pictures on there too, though. Yes, there there are pictures on Psychology Today. There are pictures on Therapy for Black Girls as well. And then there's another one that's kind of new, and I believe that it is in a specific area. I think like Philadelphia or D.C. or something, somewhere northeast. But it's called Henry Health, and that's henry-health.com. And they focus on the mental health of African-American men. Yes, uh, I should say black men because not all black men are African American. You know? But so I'm gonna list them again for y'all. Therapyforblackgirls.com, therapyforblackmen.org, henry-health.com, and then psychologytoday.com. And I'm sure there are tons of directories, but those are just four that we wanted to throw out there so that if you are interested, you can uh, start doing some research on who you want to see. And by the way, therapyforblackmen.org is offering free therapy sessions for black men. They're working on a movement and they're getting donations so that they can offer that service to black men who are unemployed or uninsured or underinsured. That's dope. I wanted to add to, at least as far as the ones that I've searched the psychology today and the black girls therapy, they do also allow you to search too and be able to see what the therapist specializes in. So if there's a certain thing that you may feel like you have more issue with, they can kind of do that. They also have therapists that may work with LGBTQ. So they have a lot of different specific, like if you have something specific or you feel comfortable with a, a, a specific therapist or that has knowledge in a specific area, they have it where you can look, you know, your therapist up that way as well. But yeah, so this is a good and lengthy episode. So let's go ahead and end the show. We gave you some resources. Go ahead and get you some therapy if you feel like you need to, or if somebody else that you know may need therapy, you have some resources. So keep up with us. Our next episode should be a little bit fun. 
But we'll be back next week. Keep with us on our social media, of course. We have our IG at SIP underscore sessions underscore podcast. We are also on Facebook at SIP sessions podcast. And we are also, also on Twitter at podcast SIP. Yes. But yes, you guys stay safe out there and we will see y'all next week. Peace. Bye, y'all.